it's your host over here, Bruna, and I got a special invitation for you. Join me and the Changemakers in the No More Boxes movement, where we are raising awareness towards this limiting and isolating behavior that we human beings are constantly doing, placing ourselves and others into boxes, invisible boxes that so often are not really serving humankind. All you have to do is to go to patreon.com forward slash no more boxes and for as little as $3 a month, you can become a change maker and be with us on that journey, changing the world. Now let's get on with that podcast. You're listening to the Chainsmakers Podcast, where we share tips, insight, tools, and stories from other Chainsmakers designed to motivate you to become the change you want to see in your world. Make sure you join our Chainsmakers community at runamagnus.com forward slash podcast. And now, this is your time to sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hello, darling listeners, for the Chainsmakers podcast. It's Runa here once again, and we have a more than just a wonderful guest with us tonight and today, or whatever the, the time of the day that it is in your country. It is the woman that I remembered I first saw on stage in Phoenix, Arizona, I think it was, um, back in 2000 and God knows when. It was the National Association of Women Business Owners conference that I was speaking at. And here up on stage, I saw this most beautiful woman that I literally have ever seen in my life. And I'm not talking about just her external beauty. I love watching internal beauty. And that's exactly what my guest has today. She is shining from the inside out, literally. And for anyone who doesn't know her, you will know what I mean when you listen to her today. We're talking about Marilyn D. Johnson, the former vice president of marketing at the IBM corporation. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Marilyn. Now, she is the founder of MarilynJSpeaks.com, and she serves as a principal spokesperson, keynote speaker, facilitator, or MC, and as a global ambassador to promote and support women in leadership. Prior to this, she served as the CEO of the International Women's Forum, a nonprofit with global mission to promote women in prominent senior leadership roles internationally. Like I started off with how I first met her, I always remembered from one of the first words that she said on stage, and that was, ladies, how many of you have websites? And I think everyone in the room raised their hands. And then she said, well, ladies, if you have website, you are international already because what does WWW mean? And I remember at the time I, I smiled to myself and I thought, ah, here is someone that is a keeper. I have to keep in touch with this woman. Marilyn Johnson, welcome to the Chainsmakers podcast. I am so pleased to have you as our guest. 
Thank you so much. And thank you for the kind words, Runa. That is so, so thoughtful of you. And I do remember that comment and I do remember that opening. And I remember asking first, how many of you are running a global business? And a few hands went up. And then I said, how many of you have a website? And all the hands went up. And that's when I let them know your business is open 24 7, 365, and 24 time zones. You are an international company and you must think of yourself that way. Yes. And at that time, that was, I could feel in the room going, (gasps) you were basically taking them out of their little box thinking of, oh, I only have a small business on the corner here or whatever, or small this. And they were in that little, I'm not good enough box, were they? (laughs) I'm not big enough. I'm not big enough. I am not this. I'm not that. But you really showed them with that one simple sentence. And, and and just imagine, you know, I don't know, a decade ago or whatever. And I'm, and I remember this. So you you have already you have already raised the should we call it the roof of a little box for in so many women worldwide. I I believe it must be thousands of them. Now I want to go, Marilyn. I think just your work, both what you're doing today. And I know apart from speaking globally and, and raising awareness and raising and, and empowering women in leadership roles, it, is, it really amazes me what you did, your work when you, you are now retired from the, as the vice president of IBM, how you opened up this market for Asians, Blacks, Hispanics, Native Americans, and women in Americas. And how you totally transformed a corporation for that. Can you share with us what gave you the courage? Because the, the courage is something that is coming out my, my way when I think about someone who can do that. What gave you the courage to, to step up in a corporate world to do these things? <laughs> uh, first of all, let me start with the fact that the team was already established as a U.S.-based marketing organization in about eight key cities in the United States that had a diverse population. So the job scope was already defined when I interviewed as a director for a vice presidency in marketing. And I went in my interview, Runa, Hmm. talking about how the job was really much bigger that women were the largest constituent customer set making IT decisions for or not for IBM solutions in the world. Mm -hmm. And that that customer base needed to be addressed through this marketing organization. So I interviewed with a senior vice president and said, if you choose me, and I hope you do, because the difference that my strategy will make will put IBM on the map and will put more zeros in front of the decimal point because women are influencing IT decisions. They're determining IT budgets. They're definitely making IT decisions. And if we don't pay attention to this market space, so I'd like to move out of the eight cities or eight states, the geography of the United States, And let's see what they're doing in Canada and the Caribbean and Latin America. Because 
BRICS, Brazil, Russia, India, China, it was actually BRIC, Brazil, Russia, India, China, was already a strategy for IBM. But I added the S, South Africa, because I knew that the continent of Africa should be included in this growth explosion for women. Ah. And the senior vice president, he, he was just like, wow, I never thought of it that way. So I think I planted the seed in the interview. Yeah. And then after assessing the market, I realized I would have to find a way to measure the market opportunity and the segmentation and then put a strategy together to approach it. IBM is a great data analytics company. It always has been. So I knew I would have to go in with facts and figures, market opportunity and percent of share to get the funding for the resources that I would need to build a global team instead of a U.S.-based or U.S.-focused team. So it was one of those and see if you can effectively change the minds, get them out of their box, stop selling by zip code, stop selling by geography, and let's not sell by solution that we're going to sell so many boxes or so many shrink wrap software solutions. Let's sell by buying behavior. And what's the difference in our marketing spend, our advertising, to make sure women know we're talking to them? And can I get to our corporate marketing and advertising corporation at the time, Ogilvy and Mather, and get them to spend the big dollars in industry marketing, but instead of putting the female in front of the desk, Let's put her behind the desk as the decision maker. Let's put the stethoscope on the lady in the ad Mm -hmm. for health solutions and have the patient be a gray-haired gentleman on the gurney. Can we just alter our messaging? I'm not asking for more money. I'm just asking strategically, can we let women know we're talking to them? And in addition, I wanted to go to Australia and talk to indigenous business owners. I wanted to go to the Caribbean and talk to mixed race. I wanted to go to Canada and talk to what they call visible minorities, but it's advertising and messaging to business people the way they want to be talked to. Wow. And I believe I influenced our overall market messaging in the corporation, not just my specific target, which was to grow those market segments that you mentioned, Asians, Blacks, Hispanics, Mm. Native Americans, Mm. and women, women being the largest constituent database that we could identify. And guess what? There were organizations founded by women, run by women, supported by women, like the Center for Women's Business Research, headquartered in Washington, D.C., that could measure or help me survey the pool of women influencers and business owners. So when you have that kind of data and can commission them to go beneath the IT or technology spend that was forecasted and say, is it going to be on brick and mortar? Is it going to be on people? Is it going to be on hardware or software? So I was able to partner with organizations to get research that we weren't acquiring in IBM. This sounds to me, Marilinda, you were way ahead of your time, way ahead of your time. And, you know, today we are, I think people overall are more aware of how technology is 
speaking to you directly depending on your behavior on the internet you get advertised you see advertisements that are linked to your history your browser history or, or whatever and so it's really now directed to who you are and what it is that you're looking for you were talking about that in those days looking at Rina, you're right <laughs> i'm the luckiest person i know though i tell you i told my parents i was born at the exact right time because yes the technology wave was coming to help discover the opportunities that I needed to identify to convince senior management. I mean, I was pitching literally to corporate to support and grow this team. But when you say I was way ahead of my time, I have to laugh. My father told me that being a year younger than my brother, but I became his playmate in the playground in the backyard. And I was very athletic and very competitive. And then when he got to go play Little League Baseball, which was big community sport in my neighborhood, these were our heroes, our unsung young, you know, men. And I wanted to play baseball with my brother, and they wouldn't let girls play baseball. And my father said that I just could not understand why girls could not have their own Little League or could not participate, especially if we were as good as the boys. Yeah. And at that age... I was. My father said, you've always had a voice for girls, for femininity, for women. It's amazing. He was a military officer, so he believed in command and control. That's the way it is. It's not going to change. You can't change it. So you just have to play with your brother when he comes home. I believe since then, I decided I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make a change. And too often, whether it's in business or politics or religion, women are put in subordinate or support or totally airbrushed out of the story. Mm-hmm. Our influence, our intelligence. So I've always felt that, but I was born at the right time. I was born in the 50s and become in the late 60s with women's liberation movement mm-hmm. on the heels of the civil rights movement that I benefited from, being African-American descent. and finished my graduate studies just in time for the IT industry to realize the power of women. And I got by the largest at the time IT solutions provider, IBM, and was able to use my experience of and success in business sales to convince them, let's make this a broader footprint. Let's capture more market share. And let's be very deliberate and very bold about it. So I had other, not competitors, but other corporate contenders calling me. The American Airlines marketing exec called me and said, how did you get IBM to back you? We want to do the same thing with our frequent flyer program. Other corporations called and said, we want to partner with you. And and if we could put a marketing strategy together, because we're one of your biggest customers. We use IBM equipment, and we also appreciate and value women as our clients. Insurance companies. So IBM, our team, became more consultative as well as marketing-focused to help shape the direction in the industry, the way we approach the market. Luck, that's all I can say. Opportunity and preparation coming together at the right time. Yeah. 
Yeah, that might be one thing, but I'm I'm not going to let you go that easily. <laughs> I mean, whatever you want to call it, but you being, okay, born in the 50s, like you say, born at exactly at the right time, making that fundamental decision at an early age in your life, you are going to make a difference. And then going for it. I mean, if we look at the gender issue as being one thing, the gender box, that's one box that you broke out of being a woman going for that position. Uh, The next one is your race box that, you know, a woman with African-American background, that's another box as well. And what you're telling me, what I'm feeling when you're saying that, I'm just thinking, Marilyn, has is the sees you the role model that other women and men look up to and say hey it's not really about the gender it's not about your race it's not about all of these things it's about who you are and what you decide to do i mean you decided to go for it and you went for it you remind me of a story i'll give you another box okay born female born of african-american parents but born in the state of West Virginia, 3% of the people look like me. So there's a regional box that is associated with my home state that no explanation could erase the stereotype. It's just the way it is. So I came to first grade after my older brother who had come home each day telling me about this wonderful world of school, I could not wait to go. And because he was smart and I was his playmate, I knew my colors, I knew my numbers, I knew how to read, how to write my name. And I had gone to kindergarten in my home community where everybody looked like me. Runa, the first day I got off the school bus, no one would speak to me and no one would play with me. Mm. I didn't know that the parents of these kids had told them don't play with the black kids or colored as we were referred to in those days in the, it was 59 when I started first grade. I couldn't figure it out because my brother was so excited and so accepted. Now again, men have athletics to sort of help them bond outside of their home community. I didn't have that exposure or that experience, but what their parents didn't tell them was Marilyn Johnson can jump rope. So on the playground, I would show off my rope skipping skills. <laughs> I had rhymes and, and songs that went along with my double dutch and my hot pepper. And the other girls marveled and they wanted to learn. Yeah. And then I took that friendship back into the classroom and yeah. helped them with their math or yeah. their reading. And then they realized I brought value to the friendship. They weren't being disobedient. They weren't being judgmental. They were just accepting me for who I was and my skills. Now, that was five and a half years old. I started school in September. I turned six in November. Yeah. And establishing those relationships, I realized people are not going to accept me because I want them to. People are going to accept me because they're looking beyond the box. Mm -hmm. They're realizing I can add value 
or compassion or understanding or support or good advice mm -hmm. or warnings because I walked the path ahead of them. Yeah. So I started developing friendships outside of my community, outside of my church at a very early age. And that gives you confidence and courage when you're used to achieving. Yeah. So I tried out for cheerleader when I got to middle school, what we call junior high in those days. Mm -hmm. So by the seventh grade, I felt overly confident that I could be the first black cheerleader at my school. And this was, you know, before cheerleaders became a little bit more like dancers. We were athletes. Uh -huh. And the principal decided who was captain or who called the shot. And being the only black, I do think he was more liberal than biased, yeah. but he often put me in a position of leadership in front of my cohorts, which let them realize if Mr. Poe, the principal, is giving her this prestige, we certainly owe her our respect. Yeah. It went on through college, through graduate school. So always been a little bit more courageous, I'll say. I call it luck, but it truly has been a blessing, my life from start to finish. And um, I often tell my children, you know, they're the evidence of my investment in myself. Uh, so I thank you for the compliment, but um, I truly feel fortunate that I was courageous enough and given the skills through education and through training. You know, my dad sent me to dance school and I went to camps in the summer. So I was often the only one, whether it was the only used girl. To it. <laughs> I got used to it. Yeah. So at IBM, when I started representing my team in meetings and I'd be the only female mm -hmm. and certainly the only minority in the room, we'd go around and introduce ourselves. And I would often add, this to my resume, yes, and I'm representing Software Group as the person to establish gender balance in this meeting. And the guys would look at themselves, what does she mean gender balance? One of me, guys, and there are 12 of you, so it's balanced. And then they would sort of get the joke and relax mm -hmm. and accept me because no one wanted to talk about the fact she's different, what she's doing here. Yeah. I would call it out before they could. Yeah. I'm here, I know I'm different, and I'm here for gender balance. Yeah. So it no, was yeah. well received. Yeah, and that's brave. That is brave. You're basically talking about the elephant in the room. Yes, yes. Because mm. I can't tell you, and I hope they're listening, how many gentlemen would walk in the room and see me there and say, hey, can you go make copies for me? <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, if, I would if I knew where the copier is, but I don't know where it is. <laughs> then when I stepped to present, they would, they would blush because they realized, oh my gosh, she's my peer. Yeah. Or she's ahead of me in her career. Yeah. And I thought she was administrative support here to serve the meeting. Yeah, I joined IBM in the 70s when very few women were in sales and marketing and very few women of color were in positions of leadership or representing an entire team or entire branch office. But I was afforded those opportunities. Yeah. So tell me now, and you say this was in the seventies and 
Now we're talking, when this is recorded, it's uh, the month of September 2018. And I know you travel the world speaking and on women leadership and emceeing events. What do you see today? What do you see? How far have we reached? Oh, wow. That's a big question. And you earlier said thousands of women. It made me actually start thinking about the math. I've reached a business population of women extensively Mm -hmm. and corporate clients, small, medium, and large businesses that were considering IT solutions. But my biggest achievement, I think, is I've been an ambassador for the achievements of women around the world. In other words, when I was in Mysore, India, talking about the power of women and in business and in leadership, I could talk about what the women were doing in Australia. Mm. The chiefs, they have an organization in Australia of CFOs, CIOs, CEOs, Mm. but they're women chiefs. Mm. And I could talk about the difference. A lot of, you're in Iceland, a lot of people know what happened in the 70s in Iceland, how the women literally went on strike mm, because yeah. they realized the pay gap and the fact that their labor resources were not valued. Yeah. When I tell that story in Brazil, yeah. the women realize that and consider maybe leading instead of following. Yeah. So I say, I'm like the Easter parade. You know, yeah. we have the Macy's Thanksgiving. Yeah. Giving Day Parade in New York, and we have the New Year's Eve Parade, or if the baseball team wins the World Series, we have a parade. But what we call the Easter Parade is when everyone comes out in their spring bonnet, their hat, and their new spring pastel colors, and they walk Fifth Avenue. Even though the shops are closed, everybody's strolling. The Easter Parade really is a parade of the people. They're not billboards or signage. It's just people. So when I travel, I try to make my listening audience realize you are the parade. You are the people that are the growth engine of business, especially women. So I want to not only educate, but inspire and therefore empower my listening audience to have the courage to stand up for what's to denounce what they know is not right and to be fair and understand that we all live in boxes. Some of them are self-selected boxes. Mm -hmm. I could have had a very different path being born in a country with a history of 250 years of slavery, 90 years of Jim Crow, legal discrimination like apartheid, 35, no, 60 years of separate but equal, And then 35 years, we're living now with legalized gerrymandering, which is districts for votes. Minorities' voices are fractured and not united. So I live in that kind of a country currently, and the whole world is watching the politics that are going on now in the United States. But I choose to not talk about the divisive strategies, but to follow and listen and learn from those leaders who have the strategies that unite and empower. 
So I could have probably ended up, I mean, I was young when Angela Davis was being sought by the government. Afros were a statement of fact, of resistance to yeah. status quo. Yeah. Hot pants and boots back yeah. in the 60s. But I guess through my parents' encouragement that I had limitless possibilities through mm. educators that appreciated and valued my desire to learn and be a good student, whatever good was defined in their eyes. But I also leveraged my acceptance to open the door for others and to change the minds and hearts and hopefully the souls of the underexposed. And I, I really learned the first time I traveled outside of the United States, a lot of racism or a lot of bias and prejudice is really just ignorance. When I took this job at IBM to be the vice president of market development, I researched and one of the employees came back with a fact that I just included in all my talks. 16, 1-6% of Americans had passports before 9-11. 16%, meaning we didn't travel, we weren't exposed, we weren't used to being in a nation that didn't speak our language. Mm -hmm. And after 9-11, it only went up to about 32%. Yeah. It, still, we were not even traveling across. You didn't need before 9-11 to go to Mexico or Canada. Mm -hmm. But we weren't going to the Caribbean islands. We weren't going to Europe, most of us. Mm -hmm. So when you're that underexposed, it's hard to appreciate what being different means. Mm -hmm. And in this country of the United States, I'm perceived as different. But when I go to South Africa, I feel very much at home. When I go to Egypt, I feel very much at home. When I go to Cameroon with my limited French skills, I feel very... And it's a special feeling to look like everyone that you're dining with or talking yeah. to or traveling or sitting beside that inclusiveness is reassuring. So I say all that to say, we've got to step out of our comfort zone yeah. with confidence. We've got to be brave enough to talk to someone. When I hear an accent, I want to meet that person because mm -hmm. I can't recognize, you know, are they Eastern European? Mm -hmm. uh, or that person sounds like someone I worked with from Accra. Yeah. I, I want to explore yeah, and too often we shy away and say, oh, I don't see color mm -hmm. or I don't hear an accent or I can't understand you or I don't know what this menu says and I just want to go to McDonald's when I travel because I know what I'm eating. Those closed boxes are very limiting, very, very limiting. So I'm always trying to reach out and encourage even if it's not a business trip, take vacation, get your passport, go somewhere and be the minority. Yeah. It will help you stay the person. That I love that. Yeah. And just be a little bit uncomfortable so that you become curious about yeah. another person and you want to 
touch base and you want to be involved with other people's lives and listen to their story. That's how at least I've learned. And from that and Marilyn, I could talk to you forever. You are a woman of such wisdom. And I, just for our audience who want to continue to learn from you, where should they go? Uh, my website is MarilynJSpeaks.com. And I'm on Facebook in the same moniker, Marilyn J Speaks. Twitter, at Marilyn J Speaks. And every now and again, I'm on stage at major global conferences, and I typically post the venue afterwards, but I've been advised by my agent, you need to tell people where you're going and where you're going to be and how long yeah, you're going to be. Yeah, they to follow you, yeah. And market yourself, making her job a little easier. But Marilyn J at MarilynJSpeaks.com is my direct email, and I am really good having grown up in an IT corporation about responsiveness to emails and voicemails. So I am very, very diligent of uh, not overlooking, if at all possible. But I appreciate this opportunity to have a global broadcast and be a part of the change makers and what you're doing. I have to compliment you and your colleagues. It's very judicious, it's very much needed, and it can only make the world a better place. I have to leave you this quote because it reminds me of you. My favorite poet is deceased. Her name was Maya Angelou. And Maya Angelou says that a woman in harmony with her spirit is like a river flowing. She goes where she will without pretense, but she arrives her destination prepared to be herself and only herself. And that's how... I feel about my career. I've been allowed to be myself as I have moved through a career of wonderful experiences. It's just been fantastic and it's not over yet. Oh no. Oh, I, this is a beautiful quote. My Angela is one of my favorites. So I'm going to look that one up and put it on my wall. And every time from now on, um, that quote is going to remind me of Marilyn G. Johnson. The woman who shines so beautifully from the inside out. Thank you, Marilyn. Thank you. Was this podcast of value for you? I sure hope so. If so, feel free to share the love and give us your generous review on iTunes or Stitcher. And remember that you can always go to runamagnus.com to find out more about the changemakers and how we can help you drive the change you want to see in your world.